Good morning, everyone. I'm Kath. And if you don't know this, you might not know this, I grew up in Hong Kong, which I'm only mentioning that. I wouldn't normally mention that, but I'm only mentioning that because a few weeks ago when we were having our shared lunch, I sat with a couple of families and we were talking about Christmas traditions. Now, last week, Tim... I pressed something, haven't I? I pressed lots of things. It's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Um, so we were talking about Christmas traditions in Hong Kong, and uh, we were remembering the Christmas lights. They are beautiful in Hong Kong. The whole of the city is literally like dressed up like a Christmas tree. And so the tradition is to just go and enjoy the lights of the harbour. Oh, it is absolutely spectacular. But in our household, we have um, other traditions. And basically, we have three birthdays within two weeks in November, so we're not allowed to get Christmassy until uh, December. So it's now December, so we can get Christmassy. So we have this day where it's a bit like the Christmas switch gets turned on. We get the tree out, we put good Christmas music on, we eat some Christmassy treats, and Christmas has begun. And that day is today in our household. <laughs> Woo! So I'm very excited. But we're continuing the series on hope, on Advent, and hope in the silence, in the quiet, when God does not seem to be involved and feels really, really distant, really, really difficult times. So, oh, what am I doing? I'm clicking. So I'm going to look at our passage today. I'm going to ask some questions and I've got a few thoughts and pictures to share with you. So the first question is, what is hope? Just for a moment, try and define hope actually in your heads. Just try and work out what that word honestly means. It's pretty tricky. It's really difficult to nail down, isn't it? We kind of know what it is when we have hope. I, can, I know that feeling when I've got hope for something, and I know when I don't have hope. Um, but it's hard to say exactly what it is, isn't it? And our cultural use of the word hope is really, really a bit pathetic. Like, I hope you have a good day. I hope you pass your test. I hope your cold isn't too bad. We kind of mean well, good intentions. It's good, isn't it, that we use, you know, we want the best for people. But actually, it's a really a bit unsatisfactory, a bit bleh, because we know anything can kind of happen, don't we? And it feels even more unhelpful and, well, cringingly bad when we use it for really difficult seasons in people's lives. I hope your medical results are okay. I hope your relationship with your dad gets better. I hope you see an end to whatever tunnel you are facing. And we kind of almost need different words, don't we? Thank goodness the Bible is full of stories of hope. We hope that show the truth of what it really is and who ultimately gives hope that does mean something. I think we need to almost kind of reclaim this word from the Bible, don't we? So I think the word hope is similar to trust and faith. I think when I talk about hope in in this talk, you're going to think, well, that looks a bit like trust, Kath, or that looks a bit like faith. It's like three sides of a triangle. So when I looked up triangle, that's the image I got. Um, I know it's not fair trade, but I do hope for chocolate at Christmas. So I thought I'd use that. So Wikipedia defines hope as expect with confidence. I quite like that, expect with confidence. But I think... If we put faith in there, it's more like expect God to be involved with confidence, whatever that will look like. But it's hard, isn't it, to have confidence and hope if you've been holding out for a long season with something that is really, really deeply difficult. So 
What have you been holding on to for a very long time? What have you been hoping for some, some good to come out of something bleak, something difficult? I'm just going to pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, we, we're probably all thinking of something, some season that we've been in. Maybe we're still in it. Maybe you haven't broken in. Maybe we can't see you in it. We just pray now that as we, as we unpack this a little bit, that you would start to bring some hope, that you would help us to understand what's going on. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage for today, which is from Luke 2. I know that you can't read it very well, so I'm sorry about that, but I will read it for you. So on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Some definitions say for the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Removed by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought, the chi- brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms, praising God and saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, May now, hold on, oh, 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 I knew it was going to go wrong. There we go. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, may may you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, oh, sorry. What can we learn? What can we learn from this passage? Well, they were both old. We knew that. Simeon seems like he was about to die. Um, And Anna was a prophetess. She was very old. She'd lived all her life in the temple. They were kind of part of the fabric of the temple, the structure. And it's really beautiful what Luke has done because their age, their longevity kind of mirrors what was happening in that nation. They had had a silence from God. Nothing had been written. Nothing had been spoken for 400 years from the Old Testament finishing and then this kind of dawning of a new age of God's light and life with this baby Jesus. I loved what Esther, it's great that she did that, isn't it? This baby Jesus breaking in. And these two, these two, Simeon and Anna, were holding on to a hope that went back, you know, way before their lives, way 400 years. That's a long time, isn't it? The promise of a saviour, the consolation, restorer, comforter of Israel, 
and a light for all people, hope breaking in. So their, fini- their wait was finished with the birth of a baby. Well, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Because it's just a baby. It wasn't the full fulfillment. It was just the start. They they didn't know, did they? When they died, they didn't know what Jesus was actually going to do. They didn't know what he was going to fulfill. They didn't know about the cross. They didn't know about anything. But Simeon held him and saw salvation, didn't he? I think when we want God to break into a situation, we often want two things. We want him to, we want it to look, we want this hope to look a certain way and we want it in our time frame, don't we? Though I remember when one of my boys was quite young and I wanted to kind of connect with him, parenting felt a little bit kind of transactional. I just do stuff for you and you respond and, and I wanted to build relationship. I wanted quality time. I thought, this is what you do. You go out to a cafe with your child and you have some quality time. And nothing happened. We talked about trivia. He did not want to talk about anything that was on his heart, obviously. A couple of weeks later, we were out walking and it all spilled out, all this, this stuff. And it gave me hope. And I was like, ah, oh, this is it, isn't it? It wasn't under pressure. And I think it's a bit like that with God. We want God to do stuff on demand. We want hope on demand, but it can't be conjured up or manufactured with God at all. He is wild and free, not to be tamed. Hope will appear in his timing and in his way. But if it doesn't happen, how we want or when we, when we want it, we often lose hope, don't we? So, have you ever lost hope with something? Now, I put the Rubik's Cube up because when I was little, I did have a Rubik's Cube in my hand. It was quite new. It was quite exciting. I lost hope because I couldn't get it back. And I changed all the colors around. I got into a lot of trouble. It wasn't my Rubik's Cube. So when things go wrong, the first hit is disappointment. It really hits, doesn't, doesn't it? When we were quite newly married, we lived in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for a few years. And we got involved with YWAM and they were doing work on the streets with drug users. And I'd read a lot of Jackie Pullinger books. So I knew that this stuff is amazing. And we were on the streets and it was amazing. We were cleaning rooms, praying. And there was a bunch of guys on our team who were from Malaysia. They were locals. They had been drug addicts and now they were ministering. It was beautiful. But one day, Joey didn't turn up. And somebody said, Oh, he's back on the streets using drugs. Oh, that hit of disappointment and shock and horror. How, how could he give it all away? What was God doing? And what, what's the point? We had this, he'd been through rehabilitation. He was out the other end. He was doing brilliantly. He was ministering, but he had turned his back on it all and gone back. And wow, that disappointment. But actually, I did see what God was still doing in the lives of other people. There were other people that God was still working with. And I had to kind of leave Joey to God, really, and just carry on. And I think that's important, isn't it? But if we can't see what God is doing, it's really tough. And I think disappointment leads to kind of despair or cynicism. It's a massive issue in our culture, isn't it? Cynicism. And despair breeds despair. So there was a study in the 2020 Journal of Applied Social Psychology that was looking at this, and it showed that people who were most set in their own kind of idea of what the outcome should be, like this perfect outcome, if they're most set in that, they are the people who are most despairing with, when faced with sort of uncertainty, when that doesn't happen. So in other words, if the only hope for our government future looks like this, or the only outcome for my financial security must look like this, then the more fixed, the more 
despairing when it doesn't happen. So that was an interesting study. So no wonder there's a mental health crisis happening in our midst. So thinking of Anna and Simeon and what they learnt about waiting and trusting and when things can go wrong, I guess where can hope be found? So I've got three little pictures to go through. So one is a really classic, the wall. It's a really good image, but it's really important, I think. A wall of bricks. Hindsight is a fine thing. And I, bought, I thought about this because I think we do need hindsight to think about what God, what's, what's God built in our lives already. When there's a gap in the wall where we can't see what God's doing, we can't see where it's building, maybe the wall has stopped building, we need to look back and see what has God done what has he done? What has he built? Maybe one of those bricks is when you got baptized. Maybe when it's when you learned about forgiveness. Maybe there was some healing. Maybe when you ended up in a job where, oh my goodness, this is where I'm meant to be. We need to look back and not, and not all just focus on what God isn't doing, but what he is doing, what he has done. I wonder if you find disappointment so hard because you just can't see where God is actually working so Joseph, our son, I did ask him, it was, it's, he's here today, it's okay to talk about this, I've asked him. Last year he had a really difficult year, <laughs> really difficult, he was really ill. And um, yeah, loads of the bricks were really wobbly, I think some fell out. <laughs> and um, oh, I wasn't expecting to get a bit emotional, but um, it was really hard, it was really hard. And he found it really hard to see where God was working in his life. But I did hold on to this verse really strongly, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I prayed that over Joseph a lot. And actually, it wasn't just that I prayed for him. Other people were hope bearers for him as well. The number of people praying for him and fasting for him was unbelievable. And it really built his hope. It built our hope. And that was a good thing. I think we need to hold on to hope for each other in community, don't we? So my second image is rungs on the ladder. Now, I know, again, quite a, a good picture. I'm sorry, the first rung is out of, out of focus. But it is that first rung that I want to talk about. And I'm talking about this because George Snyman, when he was here in autumn, he is the leader... Um, founder of an organization called Hands at Work, and he was here in the autumn talking, and he was talking about this image of getting on the first rung of the ladder. Now, Hands at Work is an organization that we support. We support it for about seven, eight years, maybe, when Joe and Chris Polsom, who are part of us, then left to work with Hands. They work in, in South Africa and other nations, and we have supported a community called Bandeni, which is in a Nestled is in uh, Eswatini, the land Eswatini, which is nestled within South Africa. And George was talking about getting on that first rung because he was saying the model of hands is, has changed over the years. It used to be, when we went out there, because I've been there and Craig's been there, it used to be that we go in and we literally provide life support, life-saving support for children, the most vulnerable. And Bandeni was a forsaken community. It was, it was almost ostracized. It was so bad. But that's exactly where hands look to go in. And they come in, their first wave of kind of building hope is to actually provide food for children and a safe place for them to go and people who will love them, and the ability to go to school, and basic health care. It's like life-saving stuff, isn't it, for a community. But then he was saying, actually, what we need to do is we need to provide a way out of, of the, the, the 
poverty and the cycles of despair that they're in. So they've started to um, uh, get together and help communities to build gardens, community gardens, and they give them resources and they give them seeds and they show them how what to do and they provide the land. And these communities are building, uh, growing crops that then hands buy back off them to feed the kids. And actually they get a decent amount of money. It's fair. It, and then they could just, if George was saying, if they just stand on their tippy toes and reach up, they can just get their hands on that first rung of the ladder out of their situation. And that's beautiful, isn't it? And then the third thing that they're also doing is doing faith, building faith into communities. So our lovely Joe Paulson, who has been in Bandeni, our community that our church supports this week, and she's been running a Maranatha workshop for 19 caregivers in that, ladies in that community that care for these kids. And she's been talking about Jesus being the good shepherd, rescuing, restoring, healing, building life, building hope. And that's incredible. And actually, you know, that's brilliant. These ladies are going to be looking after the next generation of children in that community. So that's just incredible visions of hope, isn't it? Stories of hope. So, um, yeah, so if you want to um, look into, sorry, if you want to look for more stories of hope, you can find Hands at Work on the website. They've got a website. They've got amazing stories of hope. There's one there with Chris and Joe on the top right. You can read a bit more about that. And next week, be prepared. It'd be lovely if we could support them with some money and financial support. So my last image is relax and straighten your knees. So when I was working in a primary school a number of years ago, I was in doing playground duty, and some children would get their knees stuck in some bars. There were some particular bars, and they would wedge their knee in, and then they couldn't get it out. And they would pull and yank, and everyone would try and help, and nobody could get their knees out. And then I had a little secret skill that they used to call on me to get knees out of these bars. I kid you not, I was, I was quite good at it. I would go over and I would get them to breathe and calm down. Instead of yanking, we would just straighten the leg and the knee would pop out. And that was all that was needed. And I think that that's important, isn't it? Because we do need to just relax, don't we? And just trust God. We can't kind of force God to do things we, we can't twist his arm. We need to relax and just breathe. Perhaps there's another way that, we, that hope can break into a situation. And Jesus, all through his life and ministry, kept bringing hope in ways that look different with gentleness and calmness. I think when we stop and when we worship, when we come together and we worship God, we read Psalms, that's a good time for us to really relax and trust God and lift our eyes up towards him. So I love this psalm and that these are some of my favorite words. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So as we think of this baby Jesus, born 2,000 years ago, let's remember that the hope of Jesus isn't wishy-washy. It's really, really, really powerful. This baby broke into a hopeless situation and changed history he always chooses to be with us in our brokenness. And we can expect him to be involved with confidence in our situations. So hope is Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. He will make everything new one day. 
he will accomplish what he starts in us individually, collectively, and in this world. And he always chooses to walk with us, to guide us through the valleys. My sister said something really powerful to me. She said, he doesn't leave us in the valleys forever. He leads us out to the other side. So if you're struggling with hope, hopeless situation, maybe you can feel the signs of cynicism and despair creeping in. Maybe there's a situation you've been waiting for for a long time. Don't leave without getting some prayer. I really encourage you, come and find me. There'll be other people at the back to pray with you, maybe during worship, maybe at the end. Okay.